My name is Pedro. I'm the community life pastor here. Uh, I've been here for almost, next month it'll be two and a half years. And I love, thank you. I love being a part of this community, not because we're perfect, not because we're even really that good at anything, but because uh, we're a family and we love to pursue Jesus together. Uh, if you want to be in a place that goes after the heart of Jesus, goes after the gospel for our city and for one another, then this is a great place. Um, also, shout out to Cinco de Mayo. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those holidays where we have no idea what it means, but some of us abused it a little bit, but happy Cinco de Mayo. Um, I just remember I've been reflecting on what I was doing Cinco, Cinco de Mayo last year. I'm an Uber driver during the week, and so Cinco de Mayo is always like a, you're playing the lottery, but you don't want to hit the jackpot. The jackpot is you get thrown up on a couple of times. So. Thankfully, I, that, that did not happen to me. You're always negotiating how many people can I get, how late into the night can I go before I hit the, hit the jackpot. Uh, last year, someone, a cop put in a passed out woman in my car, and I was like, oh gosh, I'm definitely going to hit the lottery on this one. Thankfully, I did not, and I drove her for 45 minutes. It was pretty impressive. Uh, but I say that because I would very much rather be here today, preaching the word. Uh, I feel like it is an honor to be here, um, an honor to talk about something that I think is really important in our text today, and it's the human heart, and where it's at, and why it's broken, well, not necessarily why it's broken, but that it's broken, and what God has done to remedy that, to help us with that. Um, so, so far in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that Justin's been preaching about um, Jesus and his starting to confront the religious establishment, Right? Uh, we see in, from 2.18 to now, Jesus is kind of doing a new thing and entering into a new phase in his ministry. At first, from 1 until the first half of chapter 2, Jesus is just showing who he is, showing that he has power and dominion and authority over nature, over our bodies, over demons, over everything that he encounters. He has dominion and authority over it, right? And now he starts to get into the territory of telling people who he is. He's laying out his intent that he's here to, to take over everything, that he's here to be the Messiah. It's still pretty veiled, especially for us who aren't a part of the culture of the day. It's still veiled. It'll be much more obvious later on in Jesus' ministry, but he is starting to, to show his intent that he's here to wholly take over, holy, not holy God, but holy, take everything put it under his control, under his dominion, that he's coming to transform the world, that he's coming to redeem all of creation, and that especially includes our heart. And um, so I want to talk today about our heart. And so before I really get into the text, I always have one reminder. Sometimes I have more than one reminder. You know, in Second Peter, Peter says that as a pastor, he's always going to be reminding people of the goodness of God. And so I have one reminder before we get into our word. And it's just that I am a new father. I, uh, my son is about to turn 18 months old. And being a father has taught me so much about the love of God. I see my son Ryan, who is across the hall, and he does almost nothing to add to my life. He actually makes my life a lot more complicated and yet, I am just fall in love with him more and more each day. That he does nothing to earn my love, and that, um, 
and that every day I just get to know him better and that I fall in more love with him. And I know times will get tough, especially when he's a teenager, but I still plan on never loving him less than I did the day before. And I've just been reflecting on that because I know that that's God's heart for us, is that no matter if you think you're good enough for him, no matter if you think that you've done too many wrong things, it's not about you, it's about Jesus and what he did on the cross, and he's the one that brings us to him. So just rest assured, part of sermons I feel like should be to speak peace over people, that God is good enough, he's big enough to redeem you, to bring you back to him, and that he, for thousands of years, even before Jesus was born, was starting, putting his plan in motion, redeeming people, calling them back to him, and that now we have greater access to him than anyone has ever had before Jesus, and so we're the better for it. And so... I love my son, Ryan. I know if I can love him that much, a perfect God shoot, loves us even much more. I can't even, we can't even comprehend it, is what the Bible says. So um, that's just our reminder. It's out the way now. Let's look at Mark. So I've already told us about this new phase that Jesus is in, about how he wants to wholly transform, he wants to challenge, and he wants to redeem us, our hearts, and all of creation. So let's start. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. If any of you guys do have your Bibles here, uh, you can turn to it. If not, you can put your phone to it. Tony, if you could get onto that slide for me, um, and we can read. Here we go. This is three, Mark 3, 1 to 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and the man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, this is the, he said, Jesus said to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out, immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Uh, let me pray as we enter into our text, prepare our hearts to see what um, God, has been, God can speak to us in this passage. So, Lord, uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Jesus, I thank you for coming here. I thank you for leaving us with this story, Lord. And I thank you for uh, dealing with our hearts. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be here. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here with your healing and teaching presence, Lord, for you to minister and do whatever you choose to do amongst us today. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We want to get to know you better. I pray that you would do this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read this one more time because I really love this passage. He said, again, he entered the synagogue and the man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus oh, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. It's super important in this. They were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. 
the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So we see, let's just uh, condense this a little bit. Jesus goes into a synagogue to preach, to heal, to cast out demons, to do whatever the moment asked of him to do because he's able to do it all. He finds that there's a man with a withered hand, but it is the Sabbath, and that's a big no-no in their time. But Jesus, it doesn't explicitly say this, but because we know he's God's very nature, filled with compassion, filled with love, filled with pity, whatever it may be, he wants to do something for this man. He wants to help him out. Um, a lot of laws at this day uh, said that cures were not allowed on the Sabbath, but Jesus, being who he was, didn't care and said helping a man is better than not helping him. And so we see here that Jesus, for the first time, is really going to conflict with the human heart. Um, the heart is funny because for me growing up, like I'm not very poetic, I'm not very artistic, so I don't really understand a lot of these metaphors. But in the Jewish day, the heart was the innermost, the center being of a person. It was all of your best intentions and all of your worst intentions. It was all of your desires, all of your priorities, everything wrapped up. The things that you uh, can't express to other people about you, the things that you keep hidden from other people, that's your heart, that's your innermost being, that's the thing, uh, part of you that really only gets exposed and come out every once in a while. And so we see that Jesus goes here to preach the good news. This man is here with a withered hand. It's dried up, it's ugly, it's useless, and it's dead. Jesus wants to do something about it, but the hearts of the Pharisees wouldn't allow him to do it. And so... Um, I wanted to talk to us about this in terms of competing images. There's a lot of competing, Im competing images, dueling images that we see in this text. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to talk about a time where my heart was really exposed for us to see what it, is, what it looks like also for our context today. And so some of you know that right after college, I went and I served as an urban missionary in Chicago. I went with a program called Mission Year, which I think is one of the high-class Christian organizations in the country. And they placed me in Chicago. They put me in a neighborhood in East Garfield Park on the west side of Chicago. And in the program, there's a lot to keep you there. So six out of the seven days of the week, you're supposed to stay in your neighborhood. They put you in a church in that neighborhood so that you can't church shop and just find a church that says what you believe. They also give you curriculum. You also sign up to put aside your own personal money and live off of the same amount of money the neighbor, your neighbors live off of, which for us at the time was $60 a month per person, um, not including food. We had a separate food budget. Um, but, and so you're in this neighborhood, and you're supposed to get to know your neighbors, right? Very biblical mandate. Uh, I also, part of the program is that you get placed in a nonprofit that serves that community that you live in. So I had the privilege of working at a homeless ministry called Breakthrough Urban Ministries, one of the best homeless ministries in the country. They're one of, the, one of these organizations that you hear about their success and it's being, trying to be replicated in other places. They're amazing. Uh, the founders started off just handing out sandwiches and now it's grown into a multi-million dollar nonprofit. It's incredible what God has been doing through them. And so early on in my time there, early on in my year of service there, I was put in charge of the clothing closet. And the clothing closet is exactly what it sounds like. 
the homeless men would come and get some pairs of clothes. And we would have a lot of men, so we would have to keep it moving. And um, all of a sudden, this one guy was just taking forever. He took double the amount of time, and I couldn't get him out. He tripled the amount of time. I was like, hey, we need to go. And then all of a sudden, something happened in my head and in my heart. Um, the thought that came to my head was, why do you care what you look like so much? You're homeless. It doesn't matter. And so that, I have to say, that's not the dumbest thing I've ever thought. It's not the worst thing I've ever done. But it is by far one of the most shameful moments that I've ever had in my whole life. Uh, because I knew that that came from my heart. I knew that that wasn't the enemy whispering something in my ear. I knew that it wasn't a fleeting thing, but it really came from inside of me. And in that moment, I was completely exposed to myself. I thank God every day that I didn't say anything out loud to him. But it was still the same amount of shock and surprise that I have that in my heart. You know, I'm an urban missionary. I'm giving up my early 20s to serve. And... Um, and that was buried in my heart, and I didn't even know it. And so in that moment, my true intentions, my innermost being was shown to me, and I, I got to tell you, I did not like what I saw. I, th I think I've only ever really shared that story with, I think, two or three people before, because it just really is, like, completely shameful. How that was in me, it was surprising to me. And so... This is what we're talking about. This is a, these are the times when our hearts are exposed. The Pharisees had this here. So let's talk about it in these competing images. The first one that we see here competing at the same time is doing good and saving life versus doing harm and killing life. In verse 4, it says here, And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. You know, there are some times in life where silence speaks louder than a bomb, than speaks louder than the best sermons, the best speeches we've ever heard. And at this moment, it's so crucial because at this time, the Pharisees knew that whatever they would say out loud would expose them to everyone around them. And if these guys were supposed to be the purest, the most holy of us, anything they said in this moment would have exposed them. And so out of cowardice, they remain quiet. I think that that's super important in this. This is what, to me, puts this passage on another level, is that these men, the men who stake their whole lives on destroying Jesus from this point on, they can't say a word against him. And it's because what would you say to Jesus, the Messiah, the guy? All he did was help this man have a better arm. It wasn't even like he brought someone back from the dead. He didn't heal someone of leprosy like we talked about a couple weeks ago. He just helped this guy's hand, and yet to them, this was completely unacceptable. And so in this moment, it's actually, I think it's funny, it's like the first ever recorded what would, you, what would Jesus do moment. It's because they were dumbfounded. They couldn't say anything, and it's because they knew their hearts were exposed, and if they said anything, people wouldn't listen to them anymore. The second image here that we see is Jesus' care for humanity and the Pharisees' lack of humanity. You see, this, the Pharisees were people, like I said, they were supposed to be the most holy ones of, uh, between us. They were supposed to be the ones that knew God better than anyone else. They were supposed to have the real relationship with, Jesus, with the Father, and yet they had nothing. You know, I also find it really cool 
that we have a Savior who experiences such a wide range of emotions. In verse 5 it says, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Uh, he stretched it out, and his hand was healed, was restored. The fact that Jesus has anger and that he can be grieved, I think is awesome. It is the type of Savior that we didn't even know that we needed is a, is a God who could go through these things. And Jesus was angered because he realized, not that he didn't know before, but it really came out now. He was angered because of their hard hearts, that the Son of Man could stand before them and that they would say, no, we don't want the good things that you have. Man, that, imagine that. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a second. You can do anything that you want. You, and all you want to do is good for people. All you want to do is usher in the kingdom and heal people, bring people back from the dead, reunite them with the Father, which is the whole, is the whole problem that happened in the garden in the first place. And these men are saying, no, sorry, we don't want that. If this is what God has for us, I can't do that. Uh, in the 50s, it's a common thing to talk about today, and people like C.S. Lewis even wrote about this in the 50s, and writers before him in the early century about uh, how humanity is being stripped of its humanity through technology. But the sad truth is that we don't even need technology to strip one another of our humanity. Our hearts do that for us all the time. Our hearts strip our own humanity away, and we do that to one another all the time. And we see that Jesus was also grieved because he knew that no matter what he did for these men, no matter what signs he showed them, no matter how many miracles that he performed, that they were going to harden their heart towards Jesus no matter what he did. And I'm not saying that these men were beyond redemption because no one is. No one who has ever lived is beyond Jesus' grasp. But the fact of this hardening of heart that we see here is that it's a deliberate and ongoing decision to not accept what the Father has for us, to, for what Jesus has for us. And so we see here that Jesus cared for humanity, he loved humanity, he wanted to save it, and yet our own hearts at times keep us from that message. The next one that we see is Jesus speaking life and restoration, and the Pharisees speaking death and judgment. In verse 6, after Jesus' question, should I do good or should I do harm, should I save life or should I kill it? Uh, in verse 6, they can't take it. They go and align themselves with a political enemy, the Herodians, who were supported Herod, who was a puppet of Rome, and they were very much against that. But not only that, they met with the Herodians to destroy Jesus. Um, like I said, these are the whole, supposed to be the holy ones, the best of us, and yet they're meeting to destroy someone on the Sabbath. What a, picture of, what a picture is that? That you go to God's house, and then in that same day, you go to talk about killing someone. I, I looked up what the Greek word for destroy here means. And it says here, these are some of the definitions. It means, it can mean all these things. To put one out of the way entirely, put an end to, to ruin, to kill, to declare that one must be put to death. Listen to this one. To give over to eternal misery in hell, to perish or to be lost. <laughs> you, we see what their hearts are spewing out now, right? It's not good things. To wish for any one of us to wish 
eternal misery and hell to anyone else. And these are coming from our religious leaders. That is not good. I said earlier that Jesus is starting to clash with the religious establishment, but that's not because God hated the temple. It was because our hearts had ruined it. You know, God originally started something great, and through our involvement and through our adding to it, it became something really oppressive and life-stripping instead of life-giving. So I used to relate a lot to the Pharisees, and I used to actually feel mm, a lot of sorrow and pity, and I felt bad for them until I started researching this. And it was because I know that in my life, I've been a Pharisee many, many times. You know, one of the greatest lessons I learned in Chicago was that my heart was hard towards the Lord in many ways, and that I was a Pharisee. I cared more about how things were done than people. Um, but I read, but as I studied this, um, I want to also speak reassurance over you guys over this, that is, this is a deliberate, ongoing decision to say, no, Jesus, what you're doing is not any good. You know, a couple weeks ago, Jesus, pre Jesus, Justin preached, not Jesus, preached about how God had, how Jesus had been calling himself new names, you know, that he had said that he is the Lord over the Sabbath, right? We did that last week. Two weeks ago, he, Jesus said that um, he is like the new, that you don't put a new piece of cloth on an old shirt, right? And you don't put new, new wine into old wineskins. It's because Jesus, oh, and he also says that he's the bridegroom, right? And it's because Jesus is saying that he, God is doing something new, that I'm doing something new here, and these Pharisees couldn't accept it, you know? The, Jesus calling himself the bridegroom, he's saying, hey, if you want to follow me, the commitment that I require is one of marriage. Anything less, and you're not with me. When he's saying, when he's talking about the patch of cloth and the wineskin, he's saying, hey, God is doing something new in this season, and it is to me. Come along. I want you to be with me. Make the decision to come and, and participate in this new thing. But the Pharisees couldn't do that. And then also Jesus putting, saying that he is the Lord over the Sabbath, man, this is the one. This was heresy after heresy after heresy for the Pharisees. You, Jesus is saying that he is above the religious system, he's above the temple, that what he's doing is going to be the new thing, the new covenant. And man, Pharisees could not handle this. And so for us today, that speaks a lot. That speaks a lot, right? Can we keep up with what God is doing? Are we always having a heart that's tender towards him? Really quickly, I know I'm running out of time. I'm sorry. I just love speaking to you guys. The last one is, uh, second to last one is overflow versus performance. See, the reason why this was a problem was because cures and miracles were seen as work. And that was seen as work for the Pharisees because they didn't know the Father. They had no relationship with him. And if you don't have relationship with God, if your heart isn't with him, then all you can ever do, the best you can hope for in life, is to try and impress God and work really hard towards him. And so instead of acting out of love, out of compassion, instead of being fueled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the best you can do is put on a good show. And that's why Jesus was so offensive towards the Pharisees. It's because how dare you work on the Sabbath? But to Jesus, he was so full of the Father, he was so full of the Holy Spirit, that he didn't work. He didn't even, he didn't declare a healing over this man. He didn't touch him. He didn't prepare any ointments. I read that that was very important, preparing ointments on the Sabbath is a no-no. Um, 
All he did was say, stretch out your hand, and the rest was done by God. Uh, that's really incredible for us to think. Uh, and it's not something that I want us to leave here saying, well, I don't do that. I read the Bible and I agree with Jesus. But that's not true because seeing miracles and being around it doesn't equate to faith. Um, in fact, you can regularly be around miracles and it generate no love, no faith in you if your heart isn't tender towards God. And so our last one and the most obvious comparing images here, competing images here, is the man's withered hand and the Pharisee's hardened hearts. We see that um, two things at the end of this passage have changed. The one being the hand and the one being the heart. Do I have a verse? No, I don't. So at the beginning of this, we see that this man's hand is ugly. It's dried. I tried to look up pictures of what this might look like, but they were not great. But imagine, uh, it's like it would have been shriveled, it would have been dry, it would have been ugly, and it would have been dead and lifeless. At the end of this passage, at the end of his encounter with Jesus, we see that it's the opposite, that it's full of life, that it moves, it's useful, and that it's bettered the life of this man. But then we also see the exact opposite here. We see that the Pharisees' hearts become even harder. You see, they weren't even there to honor God. Already their hearts were hard. But as they encountered this, they decided to continually be hardening themselves even more and giving up the good intentions that they might have had before. You know, going to God's house, I said this right, but going to God's house and then ending the day trying to kill someone, trying to cast them to, to hell, uh, that doesn't really line up. That doesn't really fit with the Pharisees' uh, MO if they're trying to be the best ones of us. And so, but what do we do from here? What do we do with this message? Um, and I think that there are two biblical answers to this. There are two things that the Bible tells us to do regularly. And one is to soften our hearts, and the other one is to get a new heart. The promise to soften our hearts is that um, there's a lot of things that we can actively been, be doing in our lives to cultivate God's mercy and his compassion. Um, I can't tell you what to do for yourself because the Spirit has something different from all of you, but I can tell you that there are things like praying to God every day, and not just from your head, but from your heart. You know, one of the reasons why the heart is such an issue in Scripture is because we can follow God easily with our minds, but usually our hearts are the last to follow. You know, we all know what we should be doing. We all know the right things, but that doesn't necessarily inform the way we live our lives, right? And so that's this disconnect. Our head can be with God, but our heart can be really far away from him. So ask the Holy Spirit to always be making your heart really tender towards him. Um, I read a sermon given by a guy named Spurgeon. He delivered this sermon 101 years before I was born, which I think is really cool. Um, and in that, he said something really nice. He said that we should always be asking the Holy Spirit for a very real sense of sin and a strong aversion to it. Is that we shouldn't be cultivating sin in our life, even casual sin, even things that seem exciting or small, because out of the small things can become big things. And sin usually does smart, start really small and it grows in, in the same way that the kingdom, Jesus says the kingdom's like a mustard seed and that it's small and it grows big. The same happens to the kingdom of darkness if we allow it to. So ask the Holy Spirit to make your heart tender towards him. And what I say that, I mean, 
A tender heart is a heart that can respond to, his, to the moving of the Holy Spirit very quickly. Uh, when you know someone, when you know our own relationship with them, you pick up cues, you pick up what they're actually saying, and you're quick to fill a need or you're quick to have a loving word. And that's what we need with God, is that we need to know when he's moving so that we can posture ourselves in that same position. You know, Spurgeon also said that we need to read Scripture daily, not out of duty or religious obligation, but because Scripture is alive and it has a fire in it that can burn any hardness that we have in our, in our hearts and in our soul. But then the, I think the deeper thing, the cooler thing, the Jesus promised thing is the new heart promises. You know, it's a promise all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament that God won't just let us be where we are, that he won't just let our hearts get harder and harder, but that he'll actually give us a hard heart. I wish I had more time to break down these. I wish I had more time for a lot of things. Uh, but let me read these really quickly uh, because they are amazing promises from the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 11 says, uh, And I will give them one heart, a new spirit I would put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from the flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Again in Ezekiel 36, he says, And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I would put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause, to walk, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." Again in Jeremiah it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. These were all exile period texts of prophets and afterwards. And this is at a time where Israel is at danger of losing their heart, their identity, and their faith in God. And yet he promises that not only will he sustain us, but he'll give us new hearts. Spurgeon, again, the old guy, um, he says that what a great God that we have that he's able to perform this surgery on us and not kill us at the same time. Because this is something that's totally and wholly out of our grasp. We cannot do this for ourselves. All we do to our hearts is harden it. All we do to our hearts is make it coarse towards God. Uh, Spurgeon also talked about the imagery of a worker's hand, you know. Uh, I don't have the softest of hands, but I'm also not a carpenter or a mason. I don't have hands that are all calloused. And the image there is that a hand that is soft can respond to touch a lot faster, and a hand that's really rough and coarse loses a lot of feeling. Um, and the good thing, the encouraging thing, that is this, that this promise is fulfilled in Jesus but it is ultimately going to come again when we go to the Father. Um, in Hebrews 8, he promises this again to us. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so that no longer will God's laws be written on the Ten Commandments, you know, on stone, but he will write them and put them in our hearts and that'll cause us to live our lives the way that we should. Oh, the worship team can come up. Um, and I just want to close by taking another minute here and just reminding us 
that we do need to soften our hearts, that our call, what Jesus invites us to do here in the moment, is to give our hearts to Jesus, to ask him to do something about our condition that we can't do for ourselves. You know, in Chicago, um, this isn't a testimony. This testimony isn't about me or how good I might be. But it's actually all about what God did for me and what, how he opened my eyes to myself. And so you might have had times already in your life where your heart was exposed to you like I had that day. Uh, and if you haven't, I will pray this week that you will have one soon so that you see what it is in there and that you will grow to depend on Jesus more and more every day. And so let's worship a little bit and then we'll come back up here and close us out. But posture your heart in a position to receive from God, uh, that he is the father of every good gift and that only he can do this work that he promised to do for us. Amen? So let's worship a little bit.